Just before we start, let's pray again together. Father God, we thank you again for the privilege we have this morning to draw into your presence. To come before you with confidence because you have dealt with our sin. You have clothed us in the righteousness of your Son. Our prayer this morning, Lord, is that you would fix our eyes on Jesus. That as we come to your word through the revealing power of your Holy Spirit, you might speak to our hearts. That you might turn our gaze to you and that you would delight us again with what we see. And so, Lord, I pray that the words that I share would not be my own, but yours. And that each and every one of us here would know you speaking to us this morning. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. So, rather than addressing the full uh, passage that we were going to be looking at this morning, um, in view of the time that I had on my hands, I thought we'd just look at the first two verses of Hebrews chapter 12. And I think there's plenty to fill our time there. So if you've got a Bible in front of you, do turn uh, to Hebrews chapter 12. If you've got one of the Pew Bibles, it's on page 1210. And we'll just begin by reading those verses together. Hebrews chapter 12 and verse 1. Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses, let us throw off Everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. I'm sure God will bless the reading of his word together. So we're just looking at these first two verses. And right in the middle of these two verses, there's an exhortation which really forms the focus of this little passage. And that exhortation is, let us run. Let us run with perseverance the race marked out for us. There's a single, unambiguous imperative. Let us run. Not let us jog with perseverance or let us stroll or amble or plod. No, it says let us run. Now, at the moment, whenever I see the word run, I think marathon, because I'm training to run uh, the Edinburgh Marathon in May. And I want to tell you about two men who competed in the London Marathon in 2006. The one on the left is the fastest competitor. No surprise, he comes from Kenya. And he was Felix Limo, who won the race in the frankly ridiculous time of two hours, six minutes and 39 seconds. The man on the left is Lloyd Scott, proudly from England, who finished the course dressed as St. George, uh, 
fit with Dragon. Um, Dragon weighing 90 kilograms and a full suit of armor weighing 45 kilograms. And he managed it all in the somewhat respectable time of somewhere around eight days. The question I want to ask you this morning is this. If, as verse 1 tells us, the Christian life is a race that has been marked out before us, which runner are you? Are you Felix Limo, speeding towards the line, unhindered? Or are you Lloyd Scott, trudging forward, but weighed down by burdens that are holding you back? And in fact, these verses reveal that to a greater or a lesser extent, all of us are like Lloyd Scott, carrying extra weight along with us. And where am I getting that? We'll see in verse 1. We are instructed there to throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles. And so my question is this, what is slowing you down? As you run the race, what is holding you back? What is the dragon chained to your back? What's the suit of armour that's weighing you down? And to help us answer this question, I think the things which slow us down can be broadly divided into two categories, loosely based on verse 1. And the first category is persistent sin. So for those of you who were there yesterday, you'll remember that in the second session, Liam referred to sin as an ugly wrestler, which we are constantly fighting. And he remarked that continuing in sin feeds the flesh which grows. And as it does, our desire to grow in Christ shrinks. Feeding the flesh makes it grow, and as it grows, our desire to grow in Christ shrinks. You see, when we choose to indulge in sin, our affection for it will swell. And as it does, sin's pull on our life becomes ever stronger. Just like the dragon holding Lloyd back from running the race as God intended us to. And I want you just to take a moment and ask yourself, is there persistent sin in my life which is dulling my affection for God? Are there areas of my life where my actions reveal that I love my sin more than I love my saviour. But verse 1 doesn't just instruct us to throw off sin. In fact, it says, throw off everything that hinders. And I think this suggests a second category of things which can slow us down. So on the one hand, we have persistent sin, But on the other hand, we have God's good gifts. Now that might sound strange. God's good gifts as a distraction, God's good gifts as something which hold us back. But you see, it's not only sin which can steal our affection away from God. Things which God created for our enjoyment and for our benefit can also become detrimental when we elevate them above their rightful place. 
and begin to love the good gifts more than their gracious giver. And in many ways, this category lays hold on our lives more subtly than sin. So how can we go about identifying these areas in our lives? How do we know when God's good gifts begin to hold a higher place in our hearts and in our affections than the giver? Well, I found John Piper's thoughts on this really helpful. He says this, The race of the Christian life is not run well by asking what's wrong with this or that. But instead, by asking, is this or that in the way of greater faith or greater love or greater purity or greater courage or greater humility, greater patience or greater self-control? Is this or that standing in the way of the fruits of the spirit being expressed in my life? And so we should ask, not only is it sin, But does it help me run or is it in the way? Does it help me run or is it holding me back? So we have in verse one an encouragement to run the race with perseverance, throwing off everything that is slowing us down, be that persistent sin, which dulls our affection for Christ or God's good gifts when we begin to love them more than we love the giver. But it's one thing to identify the dragon that's chained to your back, and it's quite another thing to throw it off. And the author picks up on this when in verse 1 he he talks about the sin which so easily entangles, or as the ESV puts it, the sin which clings so closely. And I'm sure that I'm not alone in feeling, at times, a sense of resignation in the face of sin, when it seems to ensnare me all too often and all too easily. So what then is the answer to our feeble and our ineffective efforts to free ourselves from the things which hold us back? How do we practically go about throwing off Everything that slows us down. Well, I want to spend the second half of our time just thinking about three things which these verses tell us to look to for encouragement and for motivation to help us as we seek to throw off the things which weigh us down and hold us back. And the first of those things which we are called to look to are past witnesses. So look at the beginning of verse 1. It says, Therefore, since we are surrounded by such a great cloud of witnesses. And he then goes on to make the exhortation that we've just looked at. So one of the reasons, one of the motivations we have is this great cloud of witnesses. So what is meant here by witnesses? Is the author referring to a group of spectators who look on as we run the race? Perhaps that's a feature, but I think really what the author is getting at here is that these witnesses 
are examples witnessing to us through the way that they have lived their lives. Examples of faith that endured in the face of adversity. And this is what John laid out for us so clearly last week. These people outlined in Hebrews chapter 11 who looked forward to a future hope laid out in God's promises to them and who looked upwards to God, putting their trust in him to provide because of who he is and because of what he had said to them. So we have this example of these faithful saints. And why is that an encouragement to us? Why are we called to look to them and be motivated? Well, their lives shout something to us. Their lives shout, it can be done. You see, when we're going through times of hardship and difficulty, when we have given up hope in the same way that the Hebrews were considering doing, when they were thinking of turning back, the faithful lives of the saints who have gone before us shout to us, it can be done. It's possible through the power of God to live a faithful life. And it's possible despite our weaknesses. Just looking back at that list in Hebrews 11, there's some men of great faith, but there's men of great faith who, who had great weakness and who made great mistakes. And so we have this reassurance that it can be done despite our weaknesses and despite our failings. And so we look to these past witnesses as an encouragement, as a reassurance that it can be done. And these witnesses aren't just those who we read of here in Hebrews 11. But we're blessed to be surrounded by witnesses, surrounded by witnesses who have gone before us. And even thinking back to some of the members of this church who have passed away in recent years. We have great examples, great witnesses who have gone before us and who have lived faithful lives and whom we can look to and see that it can be done. So the first encouragement we have, the first people we are called to look to are past witnesses. The second person or thing we are called to look to is Jesus. Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, it says in verse 2, the author and perfecter of our faith. You could speak for weeks on why we should look to Jesus, but I, I just want to draw out a few things that we, that we gain, that we draw from when we look to Jesus. Firstly, when we look to Jesus, we see one who, as it says in verse 2, for the joy set before him endured the cross. When we look to Jesus, we see the sacrifice that he made on our behalf at the cross. We see the greatest and the most profound expression of God's love for us that there has ever been, that there will ever be. And the more we appreciate 
of that. The more we see when we come to the cross, the more our hearts are warmed in love for Christ. In love for the one who said, not my will, but yours be done. In love for the one who chose the cross with every breath. And our hearts are are warmed in love for him and our affections are turned back towards him. And it's just as it says in the hymn, when I survey the wondrous cross on which the prince of glory died, my richest gain I count but loss and poor contempt on all my pride. Forbid it, Lord, that I should boast, save in the death of Christ my God, all the vain things that charm me most, I sacrifice them to his blood. You see, when we look to the cross, when we see the love of Jesus Christ in all of its glorious fullness, then not only does our affection for him grow, but our grip on the things of this world loosens. Our richest gain we count but loss. We're willing to sacrifice the vain things that charm us most. So the first thing we get when we look to Jesus is this wonderful picture of the cross where we see our loving saviour who died for us. The second thing we see when we look to Jesus is something that this whole book of Hebrews has been hammering home chapter after chapter. We see that Jesus is our ultimate example. He is, as verse 2 puts it, both the author and the perfecter of our faith. What does that mean? Well, he's the very foundation of our faith. It is in his perfect life and perfect death that we put our trust. But he's also the perfecter of our faith. He is the most full and complete expression of what it is to live the life of faith. So just as we look back to the past witnesses and examples of what it is to have faith that endures, so we look to Jesus, who is the ultimate example of what it is to have faith that endures. Faith that endured in the most Difficult and trying of circumstances. One Peter two, verse twenty one says, Christ suffered for you, leaving you an example that you should follow in his footsteps. We are to walk that same path that Jesus walked. We are called to follow after him. We're called to live in the same way as he did and to imitate his ultimate example. And what was that example? Well, again, that example was the way that he lived a perfect life and ultimately died a perfect death. The way that he was willing, as it says in verse 2, to endure the cross, despising its shame.
we have Jesus as our ultimate example. But what a challenge that is. What a daunting challenge to try and live and follow in the footsteps of Jesus. To try and endure to the end as he did. But that's where we look to our third and our final encouragement that we have as we look to Jesus. You see, Jesus is our exalted victor. At the end of verse 2, it says, Let us fix our eyes on Jesus, the author and the perfecter of our faith, who for the joy set before him endured the cross, scorning its shame, and sat down at the right hand of the throne of God. What does it mean to sit down at the right hand of the throne of God? Well, we looked at this, didn't we, when we saw in Hebrews chapter 10, that glorious picture of Christ having offered that final sacrifice, a single sacrifice for sins. He sat down at the right hand of God. Waiting, it says, from that time until his enemy should be made a footstool for his feet. For by a single offering, he has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. Jesus sat down. And in so doing, he showed that his work was finished. No longer as a priest had done year after year, day after day, offering sacrifices that had to be repeated because they could never take away sin. Jesus offered his final sacrifice once and for all time, and he sat down because his work was finished. And his work was finished because he had defeated both sin and death. He defeated sin and so no more sacrifice was required. He defeated death and so he was resurrected at his father's side. And he waited until ultimately those enemies who had been vanquished would one day be made a footstool for his feet. And so we know, as it says in Hebrews 10 verse 14, that our freedom has already been purchased. For by a single offering... He has perfected for all time those who are being sanctified. You see, Jesus has already won the victory. Jesus has already loosed the cords of sinfulness and broken the chains of our disgrace. Jesus has already purchased our right to be free from sin and to live Righteous lives. Jesus has already won the victory. And so as we go out and as we seek to follow Jesus' ultimate example, we have the reassurance that we fight not in our own strength. That we go out not on our own merit. But that we go with the power of Jesus Christ. And we go with the strength that he gives, having won the ultimate victory on Calvary's tree. So we have the example of the past witnesses. We are called to look to Jesus, where we see a loving saviour, 
our ultimate example and our exalted victor. And finally, we're told to look to future joy. It says that Jesus endured the cross for the joy that was set before him. What was that joy? What was it that motivated Jesus to endure the cross? Well, we get an insight into that, don't we, in John chapter 17, where Jesus prays to his father and he says, Father, I want those that you have given me to be with me where I am, to see my glory. The joy that motivated Jesus was the knowledge that one day through his sacrifice and through his death, we would be united to him with the Father and that we would see his great glory for all eternity. So that was a joy that motivated Jesus. What is it that is supposed to motivate us? What is the joy that we look forward to? Well, is it not the same thing? Paul says in Philippians chapter 3, I press on to take hold of that for which Christ Jesus took hold of me. He pressed on for the same thing that motivated Jesus Christ. He said, one thing I do, forgetting what lies behind, straining forward to what lies ahead, I press on toward the goal for the prize of the upward call of God. In Christ Jesus. So Jesus endured the cross because he knew that the cross would unite us to him where we would see and enjoy his glory forever. And we are called to endure with faith the trials of this life. We are called to run the race with endurance, throwing off those things which hold us back because we have to look forward to the prize of the upward call of God in Christ Jesus. The knowledge that one day our efforts will be rewarded when we see him and when we are like him, when we know him fully and when we hear those precious words, my good and faithful servant. And so my encouragement to you from these verses is to run with endurance the race that is set before you. Throwing off those things which hinder, whether that be persistent sin or God's good gifts, which have taken too high a place in our heart. And to motivate you as you do this, to encourage us as we go, let's look to those who have gone before and see that it can be done. Let's look to Jesus, our loving saviour who gave himself for us, our ultimate example who has paved the way before us, and our exalted victor who has won the victory and who has bought our freedom from sin and death. And let us look to that future joy we have, that one day we will be reconciled to him. We will be with him for eternity, and we will bask in his great glory there forever. And I just want to leave you with this verse from Philippians chapter 1, a verse which is a source of great encouragement in times of trial, in times when things are tough, in times when we feel that we're not winning that battle, to throw off those things which slow us down and hold us back. Because it points and proves to us that our confidence is not based in ourselves, but based wholly and fully 
in our precious Saviour. Paul says, I am sure of this. That he who began this good work in you will bring it to completion at the day of Christ Jesus. Paul was certain because his hope and his trust was in the finished work of Jesus Christ. So don't look back. Don't give up. Don't throw throw the towel in as the Hebrews were inclined and tempted to do. But run with endurance, run with perseverance, the race set before us. Because he has won the victory. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank you so much that you chose the cross. We thank you for those precious words that you prayed in the garden as you surrendered yourself to the Father's will. As you exhibited our perfect example and submitted yourself to the desire of your Father's heart and offered up yourself for us. Father, our prayer is that we would follow in the footsteps of our Saviour. That we would say along with him, not my will, but yours be done. But Lord, we know that our hearts are weak and feeble, prone to wander, prone to leave the God we love. And so we pray that as we go out this week, you would fix our eyes on Jesus. And we pray that we would find in him such beauty, such majesty, such power and such hope that we would have the strength to throw off those things which hold us back and run with endurance the race set before us with the energy that Christ provides. Keep our eyes fixed on you. Keep our hearts from wandering, we pray. And we ask this in the precious and the powerful name of our glorious Saviour, Jesus Christ. Amen.